Hey, I'm Steven Glicker from Roll for Combat and Battle Zoo Bestiary, and you're listening to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. This week, Morris, Peter, and Jessica talk about what makes a role-playing game original. In the news, the D&D Direct live stream is next week, the Shadow Dark Kickstarter breaks $1 million, basic roleplay from Chaosium is coming in April under the Orc license, and more, plus a brand new sketch about the criminal trial of the century. This week on Morse's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. Today's podcast is sponsored by Al and Dean's Artifact Shop. Alan Dean's stocks a wide range of the finest artifacts from enchanted swords to magic lamps. This week only, they have a two-for-one offer on Excaliburs, Molineers and Grails. Get on down to Alan Dean's for excellent deals on Elven Stars, Stormbreakers and Arkenstones. <sighs> I bought a Palantir from them last month. It turns out that you also have to fork out for a 12-month subscription, or they're just useless glass balls. Alan Dean. Alan Dean. That sounds oddly familiar. All the tabletop role-play news. We aim to amuse and we aim to enthuse. And Morris is unofficial tabletop RPG Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I am Russ, aka Morris, or Morris, aka Russ, and with me this week is Pete Coffee from the Southampton Guild of Roleplayers, which has risen from its online resting place and is now finally making its way back into the real world Woo-hoo. that we laughingly call Meat Space. And joining us today, also having risen from her sickbed in order to be here. It's the one, it's the only. She comes complete with a little bell to ring while she says, unclean, unclean, it's... It's me, Jessica from EM Publishing. I have returned. I am mm. I am still be- a little bit beplagued, but I'm here. This is, the, this is the first time the three of us have been together for three weeks, four weeks. It's been a yeah, while, about now. Month. Yeah. yeah, about a month. Yeah. yeah. How's everyone wow. doing? It's been a long time. Yeah. I can... Oh, well, let's get on with it, shall we? Oh yeah, let's go. Let's do it. Make a podcast. Let's start with some RPG news, as we always do. So, the biggest RPG news, well, I don't know if it's the biggest, but um, some big RPG news is that Wizards of the Coast have announced next Tuesday there will be an event called D&D Direct. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be a live-streamed event. Mm-hmm. It's 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. At 9am PST, which I think for us will make it Sort of five-ish, somewhere around then. Yeah, British time. And mm-hmm. basically, it's a look at what's coming up for D&D. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's going to look at the new virtual tabletop mm-hmm. they're making. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to have a look at some of the D&D movie tie-ins. Mm-hmm. Presumably some stuff about 1D&D or D&D mm-hmm. 5E, 5.5 or 6E, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's only half an hour, so it's not. Go- I guess it's not going to be in massive detail or anything. Mm. Okay. Uh, it's going to be like a highlight reel, I guess. And uh, yeah, but they're streaming it live nice. next Tuesday. Next Tuesday. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. I'm quite yeah. interested to see what they have to say. And this is different yeah. from the summit thing they're doing with creators and stuff, which you talked about mm. last week. That's a different thing. When is that happening? Yeah, yeah. So that is April the 3rd, which would be the following week. Okay. Yeah. 
And that, yeah, so I've got an invite to that. So I'll be going along to some of that. But it's an all-day event. Mm. And it starts, obviously, a sort of business hours mm-hmm. on the uh, west coast of America. So it's going to be mm. godly hours of the morning when it finishes here. So yeah. I'm, I'm not sure how much of it I'll manage to, manage to cover. But I will cover as much of it as I can. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And can you do like a little tag team and tag someone in? Well, that's the thing. I've asked them whether I can do that. Um, because I, I got an invitation which was to me and I've, I have asked them back and said can, can I like ask a couple of US based people to sort of like help me out with the coverage given the time zone difference and they said they'd get back to me on that and you know, I didn't want you to hear they might as well just do it mm. I mean, it seems reasonable if they want you to cover it they've got to allow for time zones mm. it'd be like us making Australian creators stay up until 2 o'clock in the morning to record yeah. our show I know I know as if we do <laughs> such a thing uh, such a terrible thing to do to someone yeah. by accident as well that would yeah. be awful thing to. Yeah. We're so sorry. Hey. Anyway, <laughs> so you know, yes. ICV two does its um. Uh, is it stats thing. a clock? Stats a clock. Yes, that's a Rooney. Um, so they've released the uh, chart for fall two thousand and twenty two. Yes, mm-hmm. which is a uh, top RPG games in the Hobby Games Channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, ah. Hobby Games Channel, of course, doesn't include Amazon, and it doesn't mm. include like big bookstores and stuff but it includes mm. um game shops and, and, and things like that friendly local game stores Exciting. and kickstarter apparently as well i think oh. they started counting kickstarter i'm not sure though wow uh but they compile their chart of the top five like three <laughs> times a year yeah and this is for full 2022 full last year mm-hmm. and their chart is as follows in number one what well, i think you can guess what's at number one is it burrows and barrels of course it is yeah. What else could it possibly be? Unchallengeable. Yeah, yeah. So number one, Dungeons and Dragons. Ah. And number two, we have a Pathfinder. Yep. Not a big surprise Second there. Second number... first, Ed. Or uh, just Pathfinder. Pathfinder. Okay. They just say Pathfinder. They don't specify. Pro- probably at this point, I think it's second edition. I think that's okay. kind of dominating the Pathfinder space now. Hmm. Uh, at number three, 5e OGL. Various. Okay. Publishers. Obviously so basically, talking about level up advanced fifth edition specifically. Yeah. Yep. Probably, probably, some probably, well. probably talking about some of the stuff that Critical Role puts out and some of the stuff that Goodman Games puts out. And stuff right. like, some of the bigger. Yeah. And live, let me live in my fantasy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, number four, Vampire the Masquerade from Renegade Game Studios. Mm-hmm. And number five, Transformers, also from Renegade mm-hmm. Game Studios. Yeah, that, that really usually good. happens with these. Like, some licensed product slips in for a bit and is the flavour of the month. Yeah, it's like the top three tend to stay fairly constant for quite yeah. a long time. Then four and five tend to be the current hotness. Yeah, is yeah. what generally happens. I am... What's interesting sorry. here is Hasbro's sphere of influence here. Well, let's know. So, Transformers, brand yes. owned by Hasbro. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons, obviously owned by Hasbro. By yes. the OGL, licensed from Hasbro. Oh. Um, and of course, Pathfinder is a spin-off of Hasbro's biggest RPG. Yeah. So basically, yeah. all except for Vampire the Masquerade here, this is all sort of Hasbro slash D and D or variants of, or you know, it's yeah. all kind of there's there's a there's a common link between them. Right. Which is very very interesting. Almost like the industry needs some diversity and uh, you know difference to be more <laughs> mainstream and popular. Antitrust law. Yeah. Excuse me. Excuse yeah. me. Sorry for sneezing on on tape like that. Anyway. I yeah. think. These, yeah, this, these um, stats don't really surprise me. But what no. I think is going to be really interesting is the next quarter's stats. To see whether D and D was affected by the. Yeah, I think OGL it will stuff. still be in the number one spot. Mm. I do too. Yeah, yeah. Because 
that's the world we live in. But I'm intrigued to see what the rest of the figures do. Yeah, I mean, my, my thought is that OGL stuff probably wouldn't have extended out into actual hobby shops and people were purchasing patterns there. Maybe. I don't know. Well, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe. Like, because... I, I mean, I only have anecdotal evidence, and the plural is not data. Yeah. But if my inveterate, like, going around talking to peopleness, have found, like, people say, well, we're not really being able to, we're not shifting the Hasbro stuff. Hmm. So, so, hmm. Interesting times, though. Yeah, well, so I'm in- intrigued to see what that means in terms of numbers. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll be, I'll be, I'll be excited for the mm. next quarter, as I mean, many people only, are. It only went on for like what in real world terms, like what about two weeks, three weeks? Mm. Yeah, it was in in the news cycle for that amount of time. But I, mm, I just wonder yeah. the long term effect of it because there's still some. Mm. I mean, some people don't care, but there are still yes, some yes. people talking about it, and some yeah. people that were asking about... Um, well, I had somebody I was looking to partner with on something and they asked our stance on it. And luckily I was like, mm. here is level up mm. A5ESRD. And they're like, cool, yeah, that's a good answer. <laughs> but it's I solid. find it to be an answer <laughs> yeah. to many things. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, <clears throat> but some people still do. So I'm just... I'm curious about what that means in terms of numbers, whether it has any effect or if... You know, I'm curious. Yes. Well, You're we can only wait... We can only wait and see. Yes. But the hobby industry has grown overall 10%, that Mm. data says. Yeah. Wow. Which is nice. This keeps on growing. Yeah. Which I think is really good. Tell you what. Tell you what else has grown a lot. What, what, what? The Shadow Shadow Dark RPG on Kickstarter is now an official member of the $1 million club. Oh, wow. Good for them. Yeah. So this is by Arcane Library. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Kelsey Dion. Mm-hmm. And it's currently at one million and where is it? One million two hundred. Oh god, it's just <laughs> taking up too One million twenty-eight thousand five hundred ninety-two. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, just over a million. So, um, yeah, so this is like an old-school kind of uh, game, kind of modernised. I'm, I'm going to interrupt you, but one point two million is not just over a million. That is an extra two hundred thousand uh, dollars. No, one million and twenty-eight thousand, not two hundred thousand. Oh. Oh, well, what's $28,000 between well, you have a, really When you're at a million, I imagine 28 is a bit of a mess. Well, it's still, got, it's still got another five days to go, so it's going to go up higher than that, obviously. Ooh, ding, and there ding, hasn't ding. been a million-dollar one for a while, actually. It's been quiet. Mm, mm, there was, at one point, we were getting, like, two a month. Yeah. And they were coming in fast and furious, and there hasn't been one for several months. So I think that's because it's around the winter, Christmas time. Generally, sales drop yeah, off maybe, around Christmas because people yeah, are like... Maybe. I need to stop backing so many games. Oh my goodness, I backed so many games this year and Christmas is coming yeah. in already. Yeah. 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 But now it's yeah. spring and the gamers emerge from their eggs and they buy <laughs> yeah. more stuff. So this, this is kind of like, it's a game that's designed for both 5D players and old school gamers. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at it, all the art is black and white and old school art and stuff like that. And some mm. of the things like there's four classes, fighter, priest, thief and wizard, kind of old school kind of style. That sort of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, so it's basically kind of like a bridge between 5e and OSR stuff, I guess, is a kind of way to do it. It's in this like sort of little black digest-sized hardcover, mm-hmm. 330 pages. Mm-hmm. And I'm tempted to back it. I wasn't going to before because I have backed so much stuff, but it does look mm. really cool. But you have a bigger house now, so... I do have a bigger house now. You can yeah. fill it up with more stuff. So that means yeah. you can spend yeah. more money comfortably, because that's not... <laughs> No, 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 I've definitely got, I have definitely got less money now I have a big house. I'd imagine. <laughs> that yeah. is a fact, yeah. 
Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So congratulations. And yeah, yeah. It does look cool. Like the books look really nice. I like the art style yeah. on them. And I like the, the aesthetic yeah. of it. Mm. Yeah. So elsewhere in the news, Free RPG Day 2023. And that's in They've the US, isn't it? Right. Yep. To June the 24th, two days before my birthday. Mm-hmm. That's probably why they moved it. Yeah, that's because, that's cool. well, yeah, obviously that's why they moved it. Why else? What other possible reason could there be? I don't know of any. Other than the fact that on June the 17th, which is the date it was originally on, Wizard of the Coast announced the Magic the Gathering licensed Lord of the Rings expansion event would be taking place. Okay. Uh, and so they decided to move free RPG day away from that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've heard about that event. That's mm. where they're going to pinch one singular card mm. and then insert it into a random collector's box. I don't know. No, 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 I'll tell you, that's what it is. They're printing, one, they're printing a copy of the One Ring, mm. <laughs> has a magic card. It's all in, uh, I want to say, Tengwa, or maybe it's Dark Speech. I don't know. Um, I don't actually read either of those, but I do recognise the alphabet. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's like got a variety of ludicrous powers uh, they're, they're putting out there. I don't know, maybe they want people okay. to buy magic cards. Yeah, right, and if you're just one person in the world will have it. Correct. Wouldn't that just make it a collector's item and never used though, and someone rich will have it eventually? It'll get it'll get sold eventually to someone rich, and it'll just go in someone's. Russ, you've just described collection. collectible card games as a whole. Yeah. Well, yeah, but um, <laughs> I mean, not this behaviour. Yes, I, I yeah, mean, but it'll be, be like framed on someone's wall as opposed to using in games or something, like a black lotus it, or something. Yeah, well, there's, there's like a variety of possible fates for it. There's a chap called Post Malone who's some sort of musician, I hear, mm. and. Um, I uh, paid something like 800 million for a card. And it's like, okay, well, that person obviously has too much money. Wow. Oh, 800 million. That's so much. 800 million? I'm sure it can't be right. I, I no. wasn't paying that much attention. That's nearly a billion. No. no. <laughs> if it, no, that, that can't be right. It must be like 8 million or something like that. But even <laughs> so, it's still far too much money. Look, basically, it had a million then. And that is a million more than I'd pay for a card. So. Just, just the eight is more than I pay for a card. <laughs> Yeah. So eight pounds for a card. Wow, no, I've paid, I've paid, definitely paid eight pounds or more for a card in my time. Back in the day when I played Magic: The Gathering. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, expensive anyway. hobby. Should we talk a little bit more about some RPG stuff, like Chaosian's announcement? Yes, because I've been seeing adverts for this all over m- my internet. So the internet, your, your internet. Yes, my is personal it? corners of the internet Ooh. have targeted yeah. me, which is fair, and gone. Hey. You quite like role playing games, which is mm. correct. And then not, it's been not untrue. Yeah, no lies detected. Yeah it's, yeah, it's correct. And it's been like, hey, basic role playing universal game engine. Yeah. Boom in April. You want this? Mm. And I was like, mm. interesting. That's. Yeah. But I don't know much more about it like that than beyond I that. So this believe yeah. it's under the ORC, the Orc. So they are also well, they're releasing a hardcover book, which is mm. the nice, pretty one that you get and play with. But mm. they also, yeah, they're putting the system out under the Open RPG Creative License, which is the one that Paizo kind of spearheaded, but, but isn't mm. going to own. Okay, that that's not finalised yet, though, because I don't think we've seen a final yeah. draft not, of it. It is not. It so is how not. can you uh, make but, it? But but folks yeah. who are on the list. I mean, anyone could have been. It's not like it's an exclusive thing or anything. Um, chose chose to sign up for updates. Um, have been getting updates yeah. on that, and I I have as well. And it's pretty close to finalised. Okay. The shape of it is pretty clear now. Okay, yeah. fair enough, fair enough. Um, but they they generally just sort of say, look, this isn't final yet, so please don't sort of like talk about it publicly quite yet because okay. right, it's not until fun. until we're until we're one hundred percent sure what it's going to look like. So, but it's pretty close there. Okay, I I, I, I I don't know. I'm like Creative Commons stuff is 
like battle tested in well, the courts. Kind of, well, the last I saw of it was kind of like it. They weren't going to make a license itself. They were going to lean on the Creative Commons. Well, yeah, in some manner. Okay. Rather, rather than create an entirely new license, I believe. But I, I, I'd have to check again no, what the latest no. update was. I, I mean, probably the most sensible thing to do would be to put like a little guide to, if you want to make an RPG, this is how you can use Creative Commons and existing copyright to keep the things you want under your copyright. Only someone put has some put on online. a website a guide to how to use the Creative Commons license and or the Open Gaming license. Is when it, creating an RPG. Is this a plug for A5ESRD.com? Yes, because I've done those two very things. Okay, yeah. Good. Yeah, um, so if you do if you do want to know how to use the OGL or the Creative Commons, and eventually Orc when it comes out, mm-hmm. there'll be full instructions for that on there as well. And yes. those instructions, not only have I... I, I, wrote, I wrote them myself right, based on what I know. I went to our lawyers. Yes. And they're the same lawyers that represent Paizo and who are designing Orc and were involved with the creation of the OGL back in the day. Right. Um, they know this topic. They went through what I read, suggested corrections and stuff. So it's been, it's been vetted by our lawyers as well. So yeah. while it's not legal advice, it's certainly not. It, it's definitely informed, shall we say. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's available it's to com- you for free. Mm. Woo! It hasn't yeah. been written by ChatGPT. It's at least in... It's, it's got line of sight legit, we're pretty sure. Yeah. It's not yeah. been written by chat. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, basic role-playing is going to be released as an open system. Yeah, so it's a, it's a um, D100 system. I've not played it. Yeah. Have you, have oh, you so played, it's, played so it? It's Call of Cthulhu yeah. and other yeah. stuff. Yeah. Delta Green yeah. as a modification. No, I mean, it's pretty pretty good. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, cool. it's, 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 it's reliable, really. Um, I like it. Hmm. Oh, cool. Um, I might have a look at it. Good, good for yeah. horror systems. I do yeah. like a bit of horror, as we all know. Mm. Uh, right, other news then. Did you have any more news that you wanted to mention? Laws of unintended consequences tend to... I don't know, is it a law is it an unintended consequence? As you know, America's been enacting like, bans on drag um, for reasons and has a consequence a lot Sorry, of... Sorry, stop, 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 stop. stop. What? Yeah. No, I didn't know. What? Oh. oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it... in Florida and places, they've been... Putting bans in on drag performances. What? Uh, because uh, according uh, to them, it's to protect reasons. children. Uh, yeah, they're, 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 I, I don't really want to go into their reasoning behind it. Um, okay. Apart from to observe, it's deeply wrong-headed and fallacious. Yeah. Um, but somehow they've got these laws passed at the state level, and they've worded these laws so incredibly loosely and vaguely. Mm. Um. That if you were to be, say, a transgender DM going to convention, you could be arrested for running a game if there are children nearby. I mean, I'll be honest, these laws are so incredibly loosely worded that Mm. if you were to be a cis GM and you were to adopt a woman's voice at said convention in order to play an NPC... Technically, you could could be be a violation of the law. ...arrested Mm. for... I mean... I would say this is vanishingly unlikely to happen because these laws are not put in place to actually do anything like they're said. They're there to prevent trans people existing. But that is like a... It, 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 it is a concern, especially for trans gyms, of which there are quite a few. Mm. Quite a few in the hobby. So conventions in these states are probably going to take a bit of a hit, what with significant proportions of the creative forces that you need to run the things 
not be able to come along without fear of arrest and persecution by the yeah. local authorities. So well, let's just hope that it's one of those laws that police aren't that interested in prosecuting. That would be nice, wouldn't it? It would be. Yeah. But probably, mm. I don't know. Who knows? Did you mm. talk last week about the, the uh, trans rights in Florida bundle that there is? Yeah. Yes. You yes. did. All we, right. That's we already did been covered. It. Yeah. Still excellent value and one that's definitely worth supporting. Yes, because I, I got that one and I haven't gone through all the stuff and things I got when I supported that. There's lots on there. Isn't yes. There? I mean, like, just so much stuff. I, I, I think I need to put, like, a day aside. I'm yeah. not joking around. A full day to go through and do it because it's not just RPGs. I think there's also, like, computer games and all sorts in there. Yeah, there's, mm. there's loads of yeah. stuff. I was just going to yeah. go through the uh, tabletop RPG stuff. There's like Thirsty Sword Lesbians, Wonder Home, mm. Um, mm. loads of stuff there that I was interested in yeah. and mm. and then loads more that I, I'm not even aware. I was just like, yeah. yeah, there's loads of stuff and things in there. Take my money, please. Yeah. Mm. Um, Five dollars yeah. well spent. Yeah. I think I bumped for the higher version of it, but yes, you can just spend $5. Yeah. 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 But yeah. Okay. Sure. Black flag. Yes. Yeah. So, the second playtest for yep. playtest package for Cobalt Press's Project Black Flag, mm-hmm. yep. which is their 5e replacement game, mm-hmm. yep. has been released. Yep. Uh, this showcases magic, the luck system, and the fighter and wizard classes. Mm-hmm. Um, you can download it for free. Yep. Uh, so, I don't know a, a lot, but I haven't like looked at it in detail. There's a couple of fighter subclasses. Um, one of those uses spells. There's a couple of wizard subclasses. Yeah. One of which is like a cantrip specialist, mm-hmm. and one's a kind of battle mage type. Um, yeah, so if and, and they've got like some kind of luck mechanic, which I haven't looked at yet, but apparently yeah. is in there. But if you're interested in like the black flag system mm-hmm. and what they're doing with that, um, this is the second playtest, and then there'll be a playtest survey gathering information on what you thought of it. Yeah. Uh, just the same way that Wizards does it, and Paizo does it, and we do it. You know, yeah. it's uh, the, the, the same sort of process. Um, I I have had a glance at this document. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Your thoughts. Yeah, yeah. I've not Talk to us. It. Talk to us, Peter. Tell, tell us, us your tell us your thoughts from your brain. Well, uh, the luck mechanic is to replace inspiration. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, like, from a like a game development point of view, when you give someone inspiration for something, you're mm. basically giving them plus five to their role, more or less. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Four, so. Five, yeah. Yeah, so what Cobalt Press are trying to do, it, this is their stated intent, is they want people to be able to fail forwards. Mm-hmm. So every time you miss an attack roll or a saving throw, not roll a one, but every time you miss it, mm. you get a luck po- point. And these build up up until you get five luck points. If mm-hmm. you have five unspent luck points mm-hmm. and then would gain a six, you roll a d4 and that's what your luck resets to. So the idea is that you're supposed to be gaining luck points and spending them on a frequent basis. The GM mm-hmm. also has absolute discretion to give out luck points as well for doing cool stuff. So uh, when you spend when you spend them, what do they do? Uh, they add plus one to your roll. Oh right, okay. Yeah, so it's pretty pretty simple, really. Yeah. Like, yeah. If you're if you keep missing or failing saving throws, then at some point you should be able to throw enough luck points at the point. The idea to uh, to actually yeah, get to pass one. It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's not that's a nifty little idea. That I like the idea yeah. of that. If you're being unlucky in your roles, you're given luck points. Yeah, self-correcting bad luck streaks mm, mm, mm. in a way. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you know, it's it's not it's not it's not a it's not a terrible idea. Um, yeah, I, I I I don't know. I mean, there are some listeners. Big shout out to Lee Donovan, 
the man who would like one day to roll 2d20 and score above fives on both of them simultaneously. Mm. We believe, Lee, you can make it happen. What's the t- statistical chance of that happening? Zero. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, that's a practical practical chance of that happening, unless it's something unimportant, like he's just rolling the dice anyway. Sorry, Lee, we, we shouldn't laugh at your luck, but we're going to anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, right, what else? Uh, so with Fighters... Uh, they've replaced Second Wind with Last Stand, mm-hmm. which is Second Wind was you roll a d10, add your fighter level as a bonus action, and add to your hit points. Mm-hmm. Last Stand is has a reaction. If you're going to be on less than half hit points, you can spend your reaction and gain, what's it? You spend like a number of hit dice equal to proficiency bonus. Like you'd roll like two of your hit dice and gain them plus your combat modifier. Mm. So it's, it's, it's not the worst, but it's only once per long rest. I think it's worse than Second Wind, strictly speaking. Mm. I don't hold with it, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, yeah. some, something I quite liked is they reworked fighting styles, and they now call these martial actions. Mm-hmm. Like, some of them, I think, are just terrible ideas. Like, I'm sorry, guys, that's just my opinion, but you have, I feel you have really missed it. With expertise... Uh, so aim used to be plus two, which was a flat bonus. It was all right. They've now changed it to be, if you spend a bonus action, you get double your proficiency bonus. So mm. like if they've got any damage dealing increase feats, then this suddenly becomes wildly good. Mm-hmm. But I'd like the way they reworked the protection fighting style, which was a bit rubbish. And they put guard in instead. Yeah. Uh, and so basically you use your bonus action to choose an enemy creature and that creature has disadvantage on the first attack roll it makes against you and an ally within five feet mm. of you before the start of your next turn. And that's a lot better than using your reaction to give a creature disadvantage because you didn't know mm. if it was going to hit or not. Whereas here, mm. you're guaranteed if it attacks, it's got disadvantage uh, against yeah. you or people around it. So it's stronger thematically. So that was something I did like. And the rest of it is, you know, much the same. Uh, they mm. haven't clarified the wording on action surge. So I'm... If they keep it as it is, I'm anticipating the same tedious arguments about does action surge give you two actions and two bonus actions or two actions and one bonus action? Mm. Mm-hmm. It's two actions, one bonus action. That is what it says. But anyway, neither here nor there. Um, yeah, and that, that that was about it really is what I took away from them. They did some subclasses and I got bored. <laughs> okay, fair. Fair. No, sorry, not a big subclass fan, me. Um, I, I, love pe- I love other people making them because it means I don't have to. Thank you so mm. much for your work. It's really go. appreciated. Okay. Mm. So, um, oh, our next Kickstarter has its mm. coming soon page up now. Yeah. And wow. our next Kickstarter is To Save a Kingdom, a hardcover Ooh. adventure path based on a trilogy of adventures we've already published before. But we have expanded massively and updated. Yeah. Mm. And these are the adventures to slay a dragon, to mm. stake a vampire, and to smite a fiend. Yes. Nice. All in one big hardcover book. Oh, that is tempting. And it looks very, very, very pretty. I've been flicking through the actual mm. PDF. Um, mm. and so it launches in a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. about 10 days, I think, in fact. Um, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. So if you're interested in that, it's for Level Up Advanced 5th Edition, but it's also compatible with 5e. Mm-hmm. And if you're interested in that, head on over, we'll stick the link in the show notes, head on over to the uh, Coming Soon page and click to get notified yep. when it launches. Mm. And I did a rambly monthly update yesterday talking about it on our mm. on our YouTube page and things as well. 
You can see I'm yeah. still a little bit sick and delirious, but I did it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'd already delayed our monthly update by a week. Um, mm. I, I, was I, I, I think it just adds your mad prophet of a dead god vibe. It, to, um, oh my god, to, that's um, such yeah. a great vibe. I didn't know I had that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah. I think that is my vibe. I think you're absolutely right. It's just a bit rambly yeah. and chaotic, but enthusiastic. And if that's exactly. not Very who important. I am as a person in the tabletop RPG industry, I don't know who I am. Embrace it. I am. Love to hear it. And so is that set? That's set in. It's not just set in a generic world. It's set in. It's set in Elisar. Elisar, that's the word. And it carries on from Memories of Holdenshire, the adventure Mm. we have now. So that takes you levels kind of one to three. Mm. Mm. And there's a really good podcast about it as well that uh, Cast Party did for us. Um, Nice. If you if you don't want to play the adventure and you just want to listen to it, it's on there. Mm. But yeah, and it follows on from there. So this is like level three to thirteen. So it's, mm-hmm. it's quite epic. There's quite a lot going on there. Yeah, yeah I'm currently running it myself. It is mm. pretty good fun. It is good fun. So, mm. so, so, so. I should do some cultures for LSR. That'd be fun. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Crack on. Anyway. Oh, well, there is in the news. The Walking Dead um, Kickstarter is still ongoing. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to do the million, though. Oh, really? How, what's it on now? I haven't looked at it for a while. I backed it the it day is, it came out because... Yeah, it's on now. It's on... Well, I see it in pounds. I don't mm. know what it is in dollars, because if you hover over the thing, it mm. shows it in Swedish kroner. Mm. And I've got no idea what that is. But uh, So it says £386,000 with 12 days enough. to go. That's, so a, it's, that's about the same in dollars, to be honest. Yeah, it's, uh, it's these days. These days, it's... Similar. It's going to be 400 and something. I'm surprised. 475. I'm surprised. 475? Oh, yeah, yeah. okay. It might do it then. It might do it then. Okay. Well, how many days? I'll take that end? back. 12 days to go. It might do it. It's going to be close if it does, though. Yeah, yeah. No, nah, it's probably going to come in under, but... Yeah. But I'm surprised still, that's not, not done as well, because it's a big license. Yeah, it's, I think... Is The Walking Dead that popular? I think it was big... more popular than it is now. Yeah, probably, yeah. 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 I, I, I never watched it myself. I remember people saying, oh, it's so good, and then people saying, eh. Well, I love... Like quite sad. I love the graphic yeah. novels. Yes. I absolutely mm. love them. Mm. Um, I'm only speaking about the TV series. I don't know anything about the graphic novels. I'm TV series are different. I like that yes. as well. When I was sick last week, mm. I actually watched some of the earlier series, so I haven't watched it in ages. For me, was, I think the TV yeah. series would have been better if it was half the length of each season. Uh, for the amount of content that was actually in each uh, season. I think the season where they stay on the farm the whole time, which happened because they slashed their budget so that we can't do locations, we have to stay in one place, was a mm. bit rubbish because they were just like, we're going to be sick. We're going to sit on a farm and be sad and talk about our feelings for a series. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and don't get me wrong, I like to see sad people sitting on farms talking about their feelings for a bit. But like a whole season? <laughs> like, <laughs> I get I'm it. I'm sure there's a role-playing game for that on it. <laughs> I guess not. There mm. should be. Yeah, like, um. <laughs> I, I am actually, I, I have backed the Walking Dead Kickstarter. And yes, I would yeah. love mm. to run a zombie survival horror. As, as I mentioned before, mm. the first ever role-playing game I played was a zombie-themed one. It was mm. a hack of the World of Darkness system. Um, yeah. But survival horror is just, and a zombie setting is just so easy because everyone knows what it is. And you can really mm. let people have a sandbox and do what they want to do and tell interesting stories. Mm. And yeah, I, I think mm. it's really good. So I think mm. I will be running a zombie game at some point, maybe with this. I, I, I have played and enjoyed zombie games. I played Red Markets. That was fun. Yeah. Uh, that's mm. the, uh, was it, it's the zombies as a metaphor for capitalism game. Yeah. Um, mm. But that was like five, six years ago. So mm. Uh, yeah, if you want to play, I'm, I could well be persuaded. Interesting. Hmm. Yes. 
I'm surprised it didn't. It's not doing. I think it's still doing well. It's still good, isn't it? Yeah, of course, it's doing really yeah. well. It's doing incredibly well. <laughs> but just, I, I, yeah. I would have thought that was phenomenally well. Yeah. well. This well one done. million dollar thing is just this arbitrary thing in our heads. It's yeah, not yeah. a it, yes. It's not. A, it's not an actual measure of success or anything. That's true. And that's it's true. going to be beautifully illustrated, as always, and just mm-hmm. generally just sit around and look awesome, as yeah. Swedish role playing games often do. Yeah. So, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So D&D Beyond is starting a creator live stream. It's like a creator highlight stream show. Um, and on the first one, they're talking with the uh, creators of Forge of Foes, which is Alpha Stream and Sly Flourish with their current Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lazy DM's um, Forge of Foes. Mm-hmm. Um, which is very, 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 very well. And apparently mm-hmm. this is the first of a bunch of community live streams, which Wizard of the Coast is apparently going to be doing. I don't know much more than that, except that that happened. So, like, mm-hmm. Wizard of the Coast signing a spotlight on third-party creators, I guess, that aren't necessarily on the DM's Guild, I think is probably a good thing. I guess, yeah. Certainly something that gets people out of the DM's Guild would be pretty good for everyone, really. Uh, especially even the DM Skilled creators who have to give fifty percent of their money. Well, they do. They to... do highlight DM Skilled stuff, though. They've yeah. always done that. Yeah, yeah. This, this is, but they've never done OGL stuff or stuff on mm-hmm. Kickstarter or stuff outside the DM Skilled ever. Mm-hmm. All right, I think probably we're at the end of the news. Garthraxus of Middleton, you stand here accused of a litany of crimes so grievous. I can barely bring myself to read the charges. Who represents you today? I shall be representing myself, your toadship. I beg your pardon? Oh, sorry, Your Honor. A frog in my throat. (laughs) Mm, And who represents the nine duchies in this matter? Uh, I do, Your Honor. Senior Vice Advocate of the Privy Council to the Duchess of Winkerbottom. Ah, very well. Then I declare these proceedings open. The list of charges is grave indeed, holding a trout in suspicious circumstances. Impersonating a tricycle. Transmogri... Uh, transmog... Uh, transmogrifying, Your Honour. Uh, thank you. Transmogrifying a Mrs. Carbuckle into a mountain chicken. Paying your taxes. Uh, wait, what? I, I think you're fine. That's not paying my taxes, your buffoonery. <laughs> right, right. Not paying your taxes. Travelling down the King's Road in a wagon shaped like a... Oh, my. Uh, yeah, indeed, Your Honour. I mean, too, too vile to even mention. Attempting to bribe the court with a cabbage? Conspiracy to commit conspiracy? And finally, aiding and abetting a clown. Now then, Garthraxus, if that is your real name, what do you say to the charges brought before you today? I say, poo and ninny. You have nothing on me. Do your worst. Advocate? You may begin your examination of the content uh, accused. Uh, thank you, your befuddlement. Uh, now then, uh, Garthraxus, uh, you know, again, if that is your real name, where were you on the night of September the 36th? I was at home. At home at the Dungeon of Utmost Terror and Vile Depravity? Catchy. Hmm, it's up for sale if you're interested, your bemusement. Does it have off-road parking? I've just bought a new carriage. I mean, I, I must object, uh, your monument. This is neither the time nor the place. Upheld. I shall place myself in contempt. I think we all share that sentiment. Your simpleness. Uh, now then, uh, Garthraxus, do you deny that you are a despicable villain of the highest order? Indeed I do. 
pillar of the community. That's me. Well, then why, may I ask, do you style yourself Garthraxus the Wicked, Scourge of the Seventeen Kingdoms, Bringer of Dismay, Devil of the Eastern Marches, Architect of Ultimate Doom, and Lover of... Uh, oh, karaoke. I just happen to like karaoke. Since when was that a crime? Since the very gods themselves declared it a perversion of the natural order in the Fourth Age of Starlight. They did? Ooh. Well, I didn't get that memo. Ignorance <laughs> of the law is no excuse, my friend. Advocate, pray continue. Uh, thank you, your ineptitude. Um, so, Gothraxus, in front of this jury of your peers... My peers? I, Gothraxus, am the most powerful archmage in all the land. I hold dominion over the darkest layer of Hades and Imperium over the very shadows which haunt your nightmares. I have no peers, especially this motley group of peasants. Aha! And with those words, you seal your own doom, my dear fellow. I rest my case. <laughs> then we shall proceed to a verdict. I am informed that the jury finds you, Garthraxus the Wicked, Scourge of the Seventeen Kingdoms, Bringer of Dismay, Devil of the Eastern Marches, Architect of Ultimate Doom and Lover of <laughs> Karaoke, Guilty on all counts. <coughs> um... Uh, except the trout thing. A pox on you all. You will live to rue the day you cross Garthraxus. And for these crimes, you shall receive the most severe of sentences. Oh, this, this is always the fun part. I do not fear you. No prison can hold me. Not even death can overcome my grasp on this pathetic realm. You have made a powerful enemy today. In ages to come, your descendants shall lament the foolish path their ancestors chose to tread. You shall see. Well, be that as it may, you are condemned to... Please be clowns, please be clowns. An eternity... That's a bit much. ...of hosting a weekly topical role-playing news podcast. Malak the Maleficent here. If, like me, you're enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing on Patreon for exclusive bonus content every week and the warm, fuzzy feeling of knowing you are helping to keep the show going. Subscribe at patreon.com slash morris. There, I said it. Can you stop staring at me like that now? The things I do. All right, all right. Don't forget... Patreon.com slash Morris. Can I go now? So, listeners, due to a terrible sequence of unfortunate life decisions, Jessica and Russ have allowed me to suggest topic of the week. So this week, I thought that we would look at a idea which comes up repeatedly, which is uh, are you running a game or are you writing a novel? But rather than focusing on that, I thought we'd also look at it from a slight game design perspective, which is, can we as game designers create games for which there isn't um, existing fiction to hang our concepts off, sort of conceptual hooks? I thought that'd be something quite interesting to talk about. Has there ever like been such a game? A game... Like, completely, completely original and not hanging off any kind of existing fiction. I think that's so hard to say, because, like, there's the idea that there's no such thing as an original story. They say there's only, mm. like, seven story types out there, and everything yeah. else is just kind of, yeah. You know what? I bet there have been 
lots of games which are completely original and mm. are expressing people's ideas which don't have anything to hang off. And mm. they haven't done very well because people mm. haven't understood them. Maybe. Maybe. Because, like, I mean, if someone's, like, saying something to you and they start waving their hands and talking about wasp centaurs dealing with the Garfraxian confederacy, then your eyes will, I suspect, glaze over. Whereas if you say, well, actually, the ancient kingdom of the dwarves has developed a special type of steam engine to allow them to take the air using a fleet of gyrocopters, and this has had some ramifications, one of those has got you sort of saying, okay, you can, you know what a dwarf is, you probably know what a gyrocopter is, and you're like, okay. I I, I, I mean, this might not be my thing, but mm. I, I can at least picture what you're talking about. Whereas the other, it's like, it's just a bunch of words strung together. Yeah. So a common way to shortcut that would be to refer to a series of novels and say, or even better, films or TV. Yeah, no, I was just saying, I think that's one of the big differences that you're saying with generally the idea of storytelling, because you made the joke at the beginning, are you just writing a novel or telling a, mm. a, a story? I think, because mm. when you're doing something collaboratively, everyone needs to be on the same page. So having yes. a reference point, like you were saying, of something that's familiar mm. to people just means it's so much easier to collaborate and tell the story. Whereas when if you're writing your own story, you could it's so much easier to do something completely new because you, you take the time to explain this concept to somebody. But if you're trying to do that collaboratively, it's not as easy to do that. You need to have a common reference point, yeah. I guess, which is the key difference of one of those things. Hmm. Huh. That is like really amazing point because you brought up genre mm-hmm. and one of the things which a lot of game designers work to is they want to emulate a genre. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But why do we want to emulate genres? So that you have a common reference point. Yeah. So you've got a common reference point. It's branding and familiarity, isn't it? Yeah. So you've got like some familiarity, which is great. And I think also because different genres give you different emotional experiences. Mm-hmm. But why don't we just design for the emotional experience that we want people to have? Like rather than say, well, I want people to feel sad. And it's every game I try and run, yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. I think there's probably two reasons we don't do that. Mm. One is we design for like the genre and topic and setting that we like mm-hmm. and we're a fan of. Mm-hmm. So if we're a fan of sort of like high fantasy, we're going to write high fantasy stuff because we like that stuff and we mm. want to, and that's what we want to design for. If I'm a fan of like certain genres of science fiction, I'm probably going to do that. So that's one side of it. You write about the stuff you like. Mm. because you enjoy doing that, and it uh, makes you feel creatively fulfilled. Mm. And the other one, of course, is just, you know, like I said before, sort of familiarity and branding makes it a lot, a much easier sell, doesn't it? Mm. Mm. I think so. there are games that do run around or themed around, like, an emotion or an experience. Mm. Like, there's mm. uh, Broken, which is a tragic romance RPG where you are a couple mm-hmm. and you sit there yeah. and you have a load of objects in front of you that are um, things that you use to spin yeah. off in your relationship and mm. you actually break them and smash them. How fun. Um, mm. As part mm. of the role-playing game. So that and that, so the whole point of that isn't exploring a specific genre because I guess, well, mm. unless you said romance is genre, but it could be any setting you want mm. or any objects you like, but it is just trying to explore that emotion and that feeling of a breakup. So there are mm. some games that do that, but... As noted, I don't think that game is as popular as a Lord of the Rings game. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, for the reasons we said. Mm. Yeah, I guess it sort of depends upon what, how we conceptualise games. Yeah. And what we conceptualise as a role-playing game. Yeah. So, undoubtedly, that is a role-playing game, but it's not what people picture. Mm-hmm. 
So I guess part of the reason why we like things like high fantasy tropes is because they are also power fantasies. Yeah. I think it's also because um, role-playing games are still so niche. And if mm. you have a reference point to explain to somebody, like saying, it's mm. like being in your favourite book or TV show, mm. it gives somebody new to role-playing to be like, oh, okay, I get what that is. Yeah. Whereas if I come to somebody that's never played a role-playing game ever and I start mm. them <laughs> on something like Broken or something like that, then they might feel a little bit more lost. They're like, I don't know what we're doing. Mm. Whereas if you can frame yeah. it as we're telling this story, you know what stories are because you've had you've read books, you've watched films, you've watched TV shows. Mm. It, yeah. Yeah. So I think Broken would definitely be easier to access if you had a grounding in amateur dramatics mm-hmm. or improvisational comedy. Whereas mm. if you're coming at it from the more traditional trad war game yeah. approach, you're possibly going to find yourself a bit more lost. Yeah. Hmm. Do you think there's certain types of story that lend themselves well to role-playing games which don't work in novels so well? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Because there's definitely novels that don't lend themselves well to role-playing games. Mm. What ones like, would those be? Uh, if you've got a single protagonist who needs everything explained to them, uh, then that is very difficult to emulate the feel of. Because if you are doing, you know what, Discovery, we'll call it, like sort of portal fantasy, that is actually quite hard to run as a GM, I would say, because everyone's discovering all at the same rate. Mm-hmm. And from an out-of-character point of view, uh, people may well have different amounts of knowledge about the setting that you're trying to tell them about. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I personally don't enjoy reading setting books uh, unless I'm really deep into a game. Yeah. Like, so that idea of me starting off by reading a setting book, that feels a lot like the worst kind of homework. Like, mm-hmm. here's an encyclopedia, go sit down and have a good time reading it. Not not going to happen for me. But if I've been to this place in play, then I'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, this means a lot more to me because I've got those conceptual hooks. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm really impressed by GMs that can read and absorb lore without having played the game. Like, I, that is just a superpower that I do not have. Yeah, okay. So game, So stories that, like you say, around one protagonist learning something, things like that don't work as well in a role-playing game. Mm. So... So what role-playing games would not work well has stories. Um, paranoia springs to mind. That would be... That, yeah. Wow, that would be a mess of a book. Yes. I mean... If you know paranoia, you're gonna have a good time reading well, this book. I don't know, but if you if you bought if you'd bought into the concept, I think it could be a fun book. I, yeah. I think I think paranoia, the graphic novel, like that is a thing that would be great, great to watch. But I think you'd need to have like everyone's got like a little number tattooed on their head and on their hands or something, just so you can keep them all straight. Because it's all about your clones being murdered mm. <laughs> and like having and then being. <laughs> ballistically targeted to where your last point was yeah yeah i don't don't think that it's so much the setting or the genre that affects the difference between a story being an interesting story for a book versus a a group storytelling thing i think it's the way you tell it because i think Mm. you could tell the same story but in different ways if you even if you think about a book versus a film adaptation it's the same Mm -hmm. story but you have hmm. to tell it in a different way because of the medium. And I think it's very much the same for role-playing games. Hmm. So, and, and the fact that you have to tell it in a different way. So you need to do it in a way that it's going to suit group collaboration. So it's not just one person, like you said. Like, hmm. if, like, the, say, for example, you said, I want to run a Hunger Games-themed 
role-playing game because you did yeah the books and the films are different in the ways that people have already kind of talked about but the way you'd approach that in a role-playing game you'd have to do that differently as well you could mm, be it mm. wouldn't be following one kind of main person you could be like you're all contestants from different areas in it off you go have fun um mm. so there's things you can adapt it so i i think i might say it doesn't so much matter what the story or the genre is because you could tell almost any story or genre in any medium but you just have to adapt the way you do it so it's not the what it's the how mm. that's different yeah i think with a, a role-playing game it's probably harder to info dump than in a novel yes yeah, because we, we unless have, you're gonna we don't like exposition <laughs> yeah yeah well yeah but you can do exposition well in a, on a, in a novel or in a tv show or something yeah yeah Whereas which is in why a, discovery is so important yeah, like you know having is, some clueless young chap normally that doesn't have any idea what's going on and having a wise mentor like yourself explain things to them that's uh that's why it keeps happening in books but and so in role-playing games is the the gm the wise person and the all the players the clueless young people that you were saying that. <laughs> is that the metaphor no 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 it's like um to, for for to copy that sort of portal fantasy where you have someone like fall into the thing and they're just like one, I mean, you, okay, if I say, okay, so they're a young person that's fallen into an alternate world, and they are somehow magically blessed, they're the chosen one, um, but fortunately they run into a wiser, more savvy character who explains things to them with various levels of contempt. Which of the countless novels am I talking about? Yeah, it's a trope. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, yeah I mean, and how would you put that trope into a role-playing game? You have a collection of people that have fallen through a portal that don't know where they are. And, well, that's what a lot of role-playing games do. You know, yeah. a lot of classic ones. You'd have the wise old man in the corner of the pub who's going to tell your party a thing. Where to go, yeah. yeah. Hand out the mission. Yeah. Press givers, basically. Because that's, that's, that's what that trope is, right? So... It, is it? Is that the same thing? Because normally the mentor would come along with the party and would be a GMPC, which I'm going to say yeah. is... A frequently very unpopular thing to have in a party yeah and also true. as a gm i i i don't like them one because it detracts from player agency and two because i have quite enough to do thank you very much yeah i'm trying to run a game here i don't have time to indulge in improv acting as well it, yeah it is um, it is a tricky thing with that it also if you have a more powerful npc as well telling you to do hmm. stuff sometimes i always feel as the character i'm like why aren't you dealing with this then like, why are mm. we dealing with this big, terrible thing when clearly you're yeah. more competent and should do this? Like, can you just go deal right. with this? Gandalf, why don't you take the ring situation? Yeah, it is the Gandalf problem, um, isn't it? Because yeah. <laughs> if I took the ring, I would destroy you all. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know, I know. But do, do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, that when yeah. that's in a role-playing game, it can feel that way as well. So, um, depending what the genre yeah. is, if you're doing classic fantasy. But, mm. but yeah, so I think... I, I, I guess mm. yeah that that trope doesn't work as well in a role playing game as mm. as it as it does in books maybe telling stories. Mm. Yeah. Well that's partly because power disparity in a book doesn't matter whereas mm. in a role playing game it does more so just because it's, well it depends on the type of role playing game I suppose but certainly in a D&D yeah. style role playing game yeah. power disparity really matters when yeah. it comes to the effect your characters can have on the world whereas yeah. in a book it's just whatever the writer writes happens happens so Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, the fate system Mm-hmm. The fate system can happily handle a sentient battleship and a magically possessed cat, uh, mm. and it has them um, perfectly balanced for whatever yeah. value you want to have for a balance. Yeah, I mean, you could write a, a comic book story about Superman hanging around with, I don't know, a small child, mm-hmm. 
and that's the story and what happens there and it'll work. But yeah. in a role playing game, that might be harder to do, I guess. I don't know. I think it depends again on the type of role playing game, obviously, yeah. but certainly in a sort of traditional D and D style role playing game, which involves combat and overcoming tasks. That, that's harder to do. I guess stories mm. and worlds need to be more robust when you're doing a role-playing game because they're going to have to encounter players that could do anything. If you're writing mm. a book, you'll kind of know your world and what's going on and you'll follow a story of it and know part of it because you might be like, okay, well, we know we've mentioned there are other worlds and things like that, but we're not exploring this story, so we don't need to fill that out. In a role-playing game, you do need to fill it out because what if your players decide to go there? Mm. Yeah, I I mean, that's a problem of world building, absolutely. But, you know, you get to a certain point, I I feel, Mm. when you can plausibly procedurally generate such things on the fly quite quickly. Mm. And also, generally mm. speaking, a good group will sort of collaborate the hints. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. But like... But that concept... It depends what you've agreed, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. in that conduct to expand it, do you not need to know your characters and especially your villains in more detail than you would in a book because you don't know what your players are going to throw at them? So you're going to need to understand their motives in a far deeper way than you would writing a book because your players might present you with a situation that they hadn't thought of before, you know? And I, so you're going to have to react as that person on the fly instead of going away sitting and thinking about it. Is that a fair statement? I, I would say that it it's like what you're describing is maybe those things I describe as not being the best or the greatest books. Mm-hmm. Because then in that sort of situation, it sounds like the villain has no real motivation and is doing whatever is expedient for the plot. Mm-hmm. Which you absolutely can have and it can be enjoyable. Yeah. But it's maybe not the best writing. Um, sure. And even for the old pantster, someone who writes by the seat of their pants or the plotter, Generally, having a villain with motivations that are understandable, maybe even sympathetic, is generally regarded as being a better quality book than those without, I would say. Mm. Yeah. I think, I think now I'm thinking about it, I think role playing games would find very hard to emulate is a, uh, a book which has a main character. Um, I've, I, I, I mean, there's a subreddit called RPG Horror Stories, which I read for fun. <laughs> just, well, it's like education purposes. Like, how can I avoid the situations which are described here, which lead to mm-hmm. appearing on this subreddit? <laughs> you, you're just <laughs> trying to not appear there yourself. Yeah, yeah. That, 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 that is hashtag goals. Do not appear in the subreddit. Okay. And yeah, so main characters. There's only one game I'm aware of where you have arguably a main character and the other characters are supporting cast. Um, and that's by design, as opposed to due to GM favouritism. Which game is that? Oh, Doctor Who. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty unique in that regard. Yeah. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I've, I've never even been able to play proper Doctor Who. I've played using the system, but we did a Torchwood style where everyone was basically, uh, what's it, uh, companion levels of power. Yeah. You did not, we did not have a Doctor with us. Mm-hmm. How does the game yeah. counteract that then? So, as I understand it, and bear in mind that I haven't played it, but Mm. as I understand it, the system... So, the Doctor is a more powerful character, Mm. but the other players have more kind of meta-currency stuff to use to counteract that. Mm. Okay. To to equalise it up. Yeah. I'm not sure how it manifests itself exactly, but that's kind of how it does it, I think. Because, and I guess that's because we are concerned with balance. Yeah. Mm. Which, I, I think a lot of people think balance is like a mechanical thing. 
but I disagree. Like, it tends to be like a benchmark that people use because, uh, well, people talk about balance and they resort to what's easily measurable. Mm-hmm. And things like damage per round, armor class, these things are easily measurable. They've got mathematical things that you can just create and do spreadsheets for. Even relatively innumerate people like myself can do such things. But that's not really what balance is. Balance is really more about how does it feel? Yeah. How does it feel to uh, be in a party? How does it feel to run for this person? How does it feel mm-hmm. to be that player using whatever mechanics they have? And how does it feel to be other players in that game observing how this works? Mm-hmm. And that is what we actually mean when we talk about balance. But there's just this weird obfuscation where people are saying, oh, it's about the numbers. And it's clearly, like, sometimes it is. Yeah, yeah. In specific cases, like, if you're spent to be... I don't know, a fighter and someone brings along a homebrew class that does 10 times your damage. You're like, that is OP. That's overpowered. That's, that's no fun. That's unbalanced. But that's because your niche is being invaded and you feel less good at the thing that you should feel amazing at. So we would say that is unbalanced. Does that make sense? Yeah, mm. no, that makes sense. And I suppose, yeah, like you say, as you mentioned earlier, in role-playing games, mm. you have to have a balanced characters that are playing whereas in a story you wouldn't really worry about that yeah and things like um characters are really good at dealing with social aspects mm-hmm. how balanced are they how would we even begin to measure such a thing and we can really only do it by thinking about how it would feel because mm-hmm. if it doesn't i mean because when we say balance we're like does it does it feel good to be this character does it feel good to run the game for this character and does it feel good to be in the same party as this character whilst they're doing their thing. Do you have your own equal or better time for opportunity for spotlight? I feel that is like really the core of what people mean when they talk about balance, but we just keep on running back in circles around to mechanics like damage because we can measure those with maths. And that way we can say, look, it does 20 damage per round. That one does five damage per round, but does it like four times so they are balanced or it's got a benefit somewhere else? So, yeah, that's, that's just my take on it, anyway. Definitely talking about an entirely different topic now. <laughs> yeah. That's so well, unlike us. I know, but it's sort of like, I feel it sort of ties in, because without a conceptual hook, you don't have ideas to create these things. Like, um, without Doctor Who, you wouldn't have the Doctor Who role-playing game, and you wouldn't have anything like the Doctor Who role-playing game, because it's just so such a weird concept to role-playing games to have one person who is effectively the main character and you have other characters which are lesser power and then there has to be an artificial cloud of luck points around them a meta currency manipulation thing in Mm. order for them to feel good to play Mm -hmm. Um, and we have it for doctor who because doctor Who is such a powerful story and people love it so much that like we must play it and so someone had to create it but my goodness what an uphill struggle Mm. And games where you have a main character, but it isn't mechanically balanced, are, I'm going to say, things like Star Wars. I have yet to see a game where Jedi are balanced with respect to the rest of the party in a sort of meaningful fashion. Like, Mm. maybe if people are super on board with playing to the theme, you have the idea of a roleplay balance, but you don't have any mechanics for it. And often you essentially have a main character. They Mm. They are the Jedi. Yeah. If you're not a Jedi, you are not the main character. Because you're playing mm. Star Wars. Yeah. I had 
Um, I played in a Star Wars campaign where somebody mm. was a Jedi, had Jedi powers, and the rest of us didn't. And it didn't mm. feel like that. But I think that's because the player mm. gave their, their character some flaws and handicaps so they weren't like mm. this. Like, they were very powerful. They had Jedi powers so they could do yes. do cool stuff. But their the character they made had a lot of personality flaws, which meant they were not mm. able to do things on their own. And therefore, the rest mm. of the party were kind of needed for things. So, yeah. but it did feel a bit like when this person was designing their character, they had to go, okay, how do I, how do I tie an arm behind my mm. back for this character so that they're not just, because yeah. otherwise it's like, so, okay, well, we'll just send the Jedi <laughs> yeah, in. What we're kind of talking about here yeah. is what's known as troop play, isn't it? Is it? So mm. Doctor Who does it, obviously, with a more modern mm-hmm. game, but Ars Magica, I think, mm. probably invented it, I think, maybe. Yeah, okay. yeah that, that's how it'd be an excellent example. Yeah, so uh, the wizard, magically, yeah. yeah, and then everyone else. So each person has multiple characters. Mm-hmm. So they'll have a primary character, which will yes. be like a wizard, mm-hmm. yeah. and then they'll have some secondary characters, mm. which aren't as powerful as the wizard. Mm-hmm. But what happens is the players get to take it in turns to play their wizard, and everyone else plays the secondary characters around them. Mm-hmm. So you you play different characters at different parts of the game. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of called troop play. So yeah. you have two characters, maybe three characters sometimes. Um, I've not heard of And that. then, um, yeah, um, I messed around with it in um, in a sci-fi thing when I wanted to do it for like Star Trek-y type stuff where you'd create uh, like a character who was... Red shirts, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can, uh, red shirt, someone who was good for bridge Star Trek combat stuff and someone who was good for mm. just sort of like on the ground doing this sort of stuff and you play a different character depending where you were going. Yeah. So you didn't have the silly situation of like the science officer trying to engage in, you know, yeah, yeah, like the late, the the latest Modifius does that as well. Okay. Uh, you you create a bunch of um sort of spare characters. Okay, yeah. and that that does sound very much like Ars Magica. So I guess that would be something that would be quite hard to take across to a novel because mm. you're swapping the main character. You mm. have you have a large cast of characters. Um, well, that kind of like yeah, Game of Thrones. Yeah, that's about to say that. But that's what Game of Thrones does. you've got entire chapters does, you... which are centred around single characters. Yeah, yeah. You, you flip the page and it gets, you can tell the chapters about the character you don't really care about. And you're like, oh, I have to get through this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hmm. Okay. So, Medivius Star Trek would be quite a good one to emulate Game of Thrones, we're saying. Uh, I don't think I was saying that. I don't think that's what I was saying. I don't think that's what I said, but I was drawing, <laughs> I was drawing through comparisons on the in the narrative structure <laughs> yeah. and the way that you have a large cast of characters that kind of have their own <laughs> time and slot in the story. They are related in some way, but you have the spotlight on them at this moment, and it sounds like that sort of troop play focuses on that as well. It goes, all right, now we're doing mm. this thing, mm. so yeah. Um, it's interesting. Mm. I've not played that style of game before. Um no, no, I, I haven't really had a chance to delve into it myself. Um, but it does sound fun. Hmm. Have you have you had to get that sort of thing, Russ? Uh, only in a Star Trek-y sense. Not hmm. Modifius of Star Trek, but a Star Trek-y sense. I haven't played yeah, yeah. Ars Magica. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just familiar with it. Hmm. Nice. I'm not. <laughs> hmm. You know, what? Nice. I, I've been thinking a little bit recently about the difference in storytelling because I've been watching a lot of The Last of Us, the, the TV show which I enjoy mm. very much, and I'm a big fan of the game, play the game. And they're two different mm. forms of storytelling. So the TV show is a passive form of storytelling, whereas I'm just sitting watching the story, um, whereas the mm. game is obviously an interactive form of storytelling where I'm taking part and getting involved in it. And mm. it's interesting because they've made different choices about how they do that. And I think mm. that's the key difference for me with role-playing games and other types of stories, that it has to be an interactive storytelling thing for multiple people. 
which is what makes it mm. even more complicated, I think. Because so, I think yeah. it's quite a complicated yeah. thing to write books. Like, I've been reading through To Save a Kingdom, because that's our next kickstart oh. coming. And it's a really interesting thing at the beginning where it's it kind of just goes, these are all the options. These are all the things happening. These are different things your 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 party may interact or may not interact with and there's all this stuff written out and it occurred to me that like for some adventures there are pages and pages that some stories won't touch at all because the players just won't go and look at that thing mm. um so i i think it's i think it's an interesting thing that when you're writing for a role-playing game or something like that sometimes you know that no one's gonna look at that stuff well not no mm. one but that mm. particular group and all of them have had quite a bit of work put into them, and I just wonder, yeah. you know, because I, I, I think I think as people have had that as experience as GMs as well. Like you've prepped for your session for something, and the mm. players go do something else, and I don't know. Yeah, it I feels just, like yeah. your work's been wasted. Yeah, I mean, and that that is where you get the temptation to go with your quantum ogre, which is uh, do you turn? There's an ogre nearby. Okay. Do you turn left or do you turn right towards the pipe? You turn left towards the sweet happy meadow, or do you turn right towards the big part of skulls? Um, and you're signposting that the ogre is to the right. Yeah. But you prepped a cool ogre fight, so somehow you have to get from them turning left, saying, No, thank you, Mr. Ogre, not today, to actually saying, Ha ha, the ogre catches up with you. And so the ogre was to the right until you look, until you turn left, and then suddenly the ogre's to your left. It was a superposition of those two states. Or being either left or right. Schrodinger's ogre. Just, okay. The yeah, the ogre is inevitable, is what we're saying. Mm. And can oh, interesting, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that that yeah, I think you actually summed up quite concisely as well in your previous point why you need humans to run role playing games rather than computers, mm-hmm. because a way. A computer role-playing game works is you go around bodging around doing stuff exploring fighting mm-hmm. those bits easy to handle no problem but and then as soon as it wants to do some sort of story development then it needs to do a cutscene. yeah and that's fine if you're playing a computer role-playing game yeah that's a that that's something we accept because mm-hmm. that's what we're used to but i do wonder how one d and these artificial intelligence gm or whatever they're going to do is going to handle a bunch of players saying, "Yeah, actually, we're going to do all this stuff." Well, didn't didn't they say they're not doing AI GMs? Oh, okay. I I I'd heard that they were, and everybody and their donkey is like language learning I've... models, artificial intelligence. It's the way forward. We'll make so much money doing this. We'll sack all the people. They specifically said they are definitely. They specifically not working. said they're not going to, but they do say a lot of yeah. things. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. No, I, I, yeah, no, I think you definitely, I think the human element is definitely needed in role-playing game stories because of how reactive it has to be. Mm. And I wonder if artificial intelligence will get so good at writing stories, though, that they will be able to write books and if they'll be good in the future. Um, possibly. Yeah. I mean, they're not, like, they're not really and- intelligent. They can write, they can write, like, stuff that you could look at and say, that is a story. Yeah. But I have tried to ask it to write sketches for us before. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that does not work. (laughs) And I also tried the new Google one, Bard, and that was even worse. Oh, no. (laughs) So they cannot do that. The nuance of comedy not quite there yet. Yeah. Uh, Some might argue I can't either, but that's another (laughs) You can do everything with the endings for us. At least you you can sort of tell that mine were written by a human being. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 
has has your classic tropes of clowns in it. Has that? Has that? Yeah, yeah. Tra- trademark, trademark. Yeah, mm. has the trademark. Yeah. But but yeah, so yeah, they're definitely not other positions. But they they can write basic stuff. I've had, I've tr- I sort of like tried to have them write articles as well, not to use, just to see if they can do it. And they can summarize a topic. Yes. Kind of reasonably yeah. well, mm. like in a factual kind of way. Yeah, I, I, it's because the the sort of the language learning model isn't conscious. It's more that it is able to derive the rules of what would plausibly come ne- what 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 sort of words plausibly come after this other set of words. So it, it's basically what we've got at the moment is we've got autocorrect, just like really fast, fairly a bit smarter, but a bit a bit more capable autocorrect. That's what a lot of these things are at the moment, and that's why they are terrible to use for search engines because they will just produce very plausible sounding things. Because you ask a question like, "What's the Wikipedia page for this?" It will give you it will give you the form of what is in the Wikipedia page with words that and sentences that are all plausible, but it will generate completely fake references. When I say completely fake, I mean like books with ISBN numbers and dates of publication from days before ISBNs exist, and books that do not exist by mm. people who may exist, but have never wrote these books. <laughs> Which has led to a couple of um, ca- ca- couple of exciting times for people when they're like being asked for, oh, can I get a copy of that paper you wrote? And I'm like, what paper? They're like, oh, this paper here. And they get a reference like, I did not write this paper. I mean, it's the right field. And that has been generated entirely plausibly by these uh, language models. The reason I kind of saying, brought up yeah. the AI thing was because I was mm. thinking about the, as we mentioned, there's different ways that you tell stories for for books, for film, for role-playing games. And I'm wondering mm. if one of those mediums would suit artificial intelligence better. Will there be will there right. be one of those formats that AI is like, I, I get you this. Could, you could have an AI-based procedurally generated game, definitely. Yeah. You could do it, do it with a video game. Because that's less mm. limit, that's that's more narrow in scope on where you can, get, yeah, what you can do and stuff. But I think you could probably do it in a role playing game. But I think there'd be a, it would be a type of role playing, yeah. Game. It'd be one where that wasn't quite as wide open as a human mm-hmm. one. Mm. So you know, you, you know, it was that type of role playing game. So you are probably more limited in what you can do in it. But I reckon you could do it. I mean, like maybe a traditional dungeon crawl. It could easily do a dungeon crawl. Yeah, yeah. easy. I mean, you could do that now with. Random dungeon generators and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Easily, it could do that. Interesting. The things about this plots and characters is more difficult. Mm. At least so far, plots. Yeah, you know. I guess it depends what you're looking for, really, because you can use story games that emulate genres to collectively create a story that follows the twists and turns that you all agree should be in there, because mm. they are well-known features of that trope. Or well-known mm. tropes of that genre. Sorry, mm. um, I guess that's sort of an exciting for me because I, mm. I, I, I like, I like stuff when it goes differently from how I expect. Yeah. I, like, I don't want it to be random, like, but I like there to be enough randomness so that I can, I'm, I'm sort of kept guessing about what's going to happen next, if that makes sense, rather than just saying, oh, that's happened, therefore the. Most logical sequence of events for this story is this, this, and this, and this, and this to happen. And like that sort of like getting the twist in the movie, which is kind of satisfying, but it's not, 
I mean, satisfaction is nice, but what you want is you, if you're going to see a movie with a twist, is you want that sense of shock where the twist takes things that you, takes information you previously had and recontextualizes it. So you're like, oh, I hadn't looked at that. Is that paradigm, is that feeling of dual paradigm shifting, which I think is why, and for a greater revelation and a greater understanding, which makes twists so incredibly addictive mm-hmm. um, and extremely hard to put off. Yeah. That's just my thoughts on it anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah. have we covered this topic, do we think? I don't feel we've given any answers, but I feel we have acknowledged... No, we haven't given any answers. We have acknowledged that different storytelling <laughs> skills and stro- tropes work differently across different mediums and genres. Um, mm. And to think about when you're doing a role-playing game, how if you're going to emulate another story, just think about how you need to mm. tweak and change it to tell it in a role-playing game so it works for the party so it feels balanced and it feels like a good experience and that it's interesting for them. Yeah, it's got to be a good experience for everyone yeah. involved. Mm. I don't know how well we did that, but we did. Yeah. And if it's terrible, yeah, I'm going to blame right. it on the fact that I'm still sick. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. You're that the glue that fair. holds this podcast together, Jessica. Uh, I know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but next week, we'll go watch Dungeons and or Dragons movie. Yes. And we'll talk about that. We are bizarrely going to watch the film at 10 o'clock in the morning. Yep. Why is that so, so that bizarre can... to you? A film at 10 o'clock in the morning is just weird. It's a little weird. I've, done I've weird never that. watched a film in the morning Have you before. Never. Never. That's... No. What did you do when you were a kid? Oh, maybe when I was a kid then. All right, fair enough. Oh, but yeah. as an adult, I've I've never You're gone to the universe to watch a film in the morning. Well, mm. this will be an excellent opportunity to re-embrace your inner child. Yes. And the reason we're doing this, dear listeners, is because otherwise we didn't really fancy finishing this podcast at 8 o'clock in the evening. Because it's Friday. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to watch the film and then we yeah. can record the podcast at the usual time yes. and review the film. Yeah, so we'll try and avoid spoilers. But you know what? Let's just say, no, let's just say I, I now. Think... we're probably going to be talking spoilers. Yeah, yeah? so I, we'll I do, think we'll do well, an announcement. And, and separate, yeah, yeah. yeah. Most most movie shows go. They talk do a bit without spoilers and they go. Okay, now it's spoilers. Yeah, yeah. So stop so many spoilers. I normally got a big thing against them, and so like we're just saying now there will be spoilers. I don't think well, I can actually talk about something because I think I might be getting ready to like it. I don't know. I'm scared. I'm scared. I I'm hoping like, you know, I'll like try it. Try keep my expectations tamped down, but it's like it. It just I just can't, I just I'm just enjoying it. It's gonna be it. fine. It's Every gonna be fine. It's, it's, it's gonna be fine. It's, it's gonna be Guardians of the Galaxy in a D and D world. Basically. Have fun. Okay. All right, we'll see you Indeed. folks next week then at yes. the movies. Cinema. 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 All right, see you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Apparently I now have to read this to you. This is the official podcast of Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG news, which you can find at enworld.org. You can find show notes at morris.podbean.com or wherever you found the podcast. If you feel like they deserve it, you can support the show on Patreon. In return, you will receive exclusive bonus content. Just go to patreon.com slash morris. If you're interested in his babbling nonsense, you can follow at Morris on the Twitter. Send your emails to morrispodcast at gmail.com. Not all of your emails, just the ones you want us to see. Mm, That's it. I'm bored now. You can go away. Shoo, off you go. Goodbye. Get out of here. You are condemned to... Please be clowns, please be clowns. An eternity... That's a bit much.
of hosting a weekly topical role-playing news podcast. Well Ending suggested by Benjamin Rogers. You don't have to put the whole no in there. Maybe save that for the uh, bonus content. <laughs>